We are a go-go. It's episode 22. 22 with you. I was doing Taylor Swift. Oh. I don't know what that was. Um, You're like, that was improv. <laughs> Pure <laughs> fee. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. Woo! Woo! No! We're back. Yo! We're so, always back. We're back back every back. Sunday. Yeah, except it's Saturday. Oh my god. <laughs> Where am I? When am I? We've been we've just been saying. Too much history, man. <laughs> we we've just been sitting in my house impersonating Celine Dion for the last half hour. It was beautiful, though. We would have recorded this actually significantly sooner had we stopped impersonating Celine Dion. though. Such a tune. The video was questionable. It was that one of the Baldwins on a motorbike in that video. Was it a Baldwin? It was a Baldwin. Oh my god! I'm telling you. Did you only find that out now? Yeah. What? Okay, I'm gonna watch it yeah. immediately. When we the... used to watch that video. Uh, Claire had Sky Didge when we were growing up. Yeah. So we also had it recorded because my mom shout out to mommy. Shout she out. Was obsessed with um Celine Dion. So we had the video, and I used to watch the the video of that over and over and over. It was incredible. Yeah. It's just that scene where he goes down the stairs on the bike yeah. without bopping. <laughs> and a meatloaf song originally. Oh, I knew it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this has been a historical fact being just and thrown at you that's guys. That's it. <laughs> Bye, <Good everybody>. <laughs> <laughs> We have a couple of shout outs. Shout outs. So lots of people sent us in their um, lovely, we're on their Spotify wrapped I'm thingies. emotional. It was really sweet. And I was like, oh my God, you're not. Actually, I was like, "You're not lying about listening to yes. us. Like, you actually are. You're so not just rude. pacifying us and telling yeah. us you're doing great, sweeties. Yeah, sure, <laughs> listen to you guys. Sure, I do. Uh, we were just like, it was really sweet. Um, I was in Tesco the other day, and I ran into Mags. Go on, and Mags. Mags listens to the podcast, and she was very nice. So I just wanted to say hello to her. She was wearing the cutest Christmas jumper in the whole world as well. I haven't seen you in years, girl, but oh my gosh, hello! It was Thank so nice. I was like, this that must be like to be famous. Yeah. <laughs> did Mags? I'm a celebrity. Did she now. ask for your autograph? No. Well, Mags, what's up with that, Mags? <laughs> I'm kidding. No, she's lovely. She's so nice, and really appreciate listening to Thank it. you. Thank, Thank you so much. Um, and um, other shoutouts, Jen. Jen, what's up, Jen? I'm in school with Jen. She is an absolute starber. Starber. She's just lovely and um, a fellow teacher. And got in touch with us to say that she's enjoying the podcast too. So we were just like, oh, thank you. Legend. She is a legend. You're a legend. And we also got to give a shout out to Kieran. Hello, Kieran. Thank you so much for tuning in and for sending your Spotify wrapped as well yeah. they're just getting in touch really Kieran is a ledge. appreciate it Kieran and me were chatting today because um, Kieran's playing Red Dead Redemption 2 what a game yeah and he just caught the White Arabian horse what was your uh, experience of catching the White Arabian horse I was telling horse? Kieran this today so <clears throat> I spent hours trying to catch that little fecker right because <laughs> uh, you have to go to this very specific part of the map and you have to wait around and it spooks really easily it's really hard to catch it so I caught it and I was so excited that I was like right I need to get this back to camp and save it immediately mm-hmm. and as I was riding it back to camp I <laughs> I ran into a train <laughs> all that hard work R.I.P. hours white, white <laughs> it was a lovely five minutes that we had together how long did it take you to catch it? Um, oh god I'd say it was ages it was absolutely ages so yeah that was oh an unpleasant gosh. experience for all involved but anyway pause yeah, poor poor me. Arthur. Oh, so I mean, yes, poor, <laughs> poor you, Arthur. Poor did you. I did Arthur die? Actually, I think I died as well. Yeah, to make oh, it more. Oh snap! 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's just miserable now, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, dearie me. Well, uh, I also got to give a shout out uh, to somebody for sending in a suggestion there for for <laughs> for um what was that noise i'm not sure oh, it was oscar it's the i'm out the headphones and so it come, came up very jarring there that was really strange that was like demonic almost <laughs> maybe just... he's trying to communicate with us <laughs> <laughs> he's through doing a ouija board on my feet just... with his paw holding, paw the, holding the thing yeah. <laughs> he's like <"Feed> <laughs> and you know the funny thing is that um that like you need more than one person to say ouija so it just be him <laughs> Do you know, know that that meme was the cats. It's like even if your cat is dead, it's like something you to get food. Like, so it's just like cats just. <laughs> they oh, it's true. It's true. Yeah, but um, I got the actually corner yes. corner today, and I want to give a big shout out to Claire, another Claire, your twin, yeah, and um, giving us a shout there on our Instagram page, which is uh what's underscore the history. Yeah. Okay. At Watts underscore the history. Hint, hint, people. Um, <laughs> please follow us. Please like us. Um, but yes, Claire gave us a shout in, and it was a really incredible um, fact. It's a misconception fact, of course. So, actually, corner. So Claire said it probably seems like nothing, but uh, when I learned it, I was like, "What the hell." So I told kids about it in the museum after, and they, you know, also said, what the hell? Well, not really, because they were six. But anyway, <laughs> classical temples and a lot of the statues that we all recognize as white were actually originally that. painted. She wrote actually. Like she that, gets it. She, she just gets she it. She gets us. Legend. Yeah. In the most ridiculously bright colors ever, like fecking Tom Duffy circus colors. <laughs> 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 and it's just that over the years, all the paint has washed off those marble statues. So there's some mad examples on Google, and um, but uh, they've done some reconstructions of the Parthenon that are amazing. It's just ridiculous. And she also said that similar story uh, applies for medieval cathedrals. Um, Amiens Cathedral did a light show to reconstruct the colors, and it looked like such a trip. And Claire sent us a link to medieval uh, cathedrals that would have been painted in their original colour. And I'm telling you out straight, Claire is on the ball. She is. Um, everyone thinks that, you know, all of these statues, you know, these busts of Roman, mm. you know, rulers' heads mm-hmm. and stuff were just marble. No, no, they were painted and they were painted absolutely They're cool. crazy. They're yeah. very vibrant. Yeah. So I just want to say a big thank you, Claire. For thank you, Claire. We'll, de- we'll post up some of them on the page so people can see them because they're Hell really yes. cool. Hell thank yes. you so much, Claire, for sending that in. And if anybody else wants to send us, we actually, we love that they come from you guys. It saves us having to... <laughs> do the work and do our research <laughs> so if you guys want to send in an actually misconception anything historical any misconception just dm us and we'll read it out in the podcast and we will Solid. cite you as our source which means it better be correct <laughs> or we're coming for you no or not we'd be very grateful um that's fine talk so right thank there. you very much claire for that you're you're a good claire <laughs> there's the good claire and the evil claire. <laughs> okay so here we are topic time Oh, I'm excited. Mine's very long, though. So I'm gonna I love it. a long one, though, because I got to say, and not just sounding like I'm kissing up or something, you know, imagine you're like, you better sing this on the podcast. And I <laughs> genuinely you, say it. Say it. <laughs> I genuinely love your topics. I Aww. always find them in really I love your topics. Aww. Like, you're just, you have really funny ones, you have really sad ones. You just know how to mix it up. 
Then there's me. <laughs> I think yours are amazing. I love them. But yeah, they're you know, they're die. They are. <laughs> so today my topic um is going to be taking you into an expedition. Ah, oh, I like I, you do these well. I, I, like I love these. my old expeditions. Um and I suppose I'm gonna be yeah, reversing back to this old topic. It's one of the first topics you know, I'd speak about on the, the podcast and it's mm-hmm. in the all uh, OG episodes, you know what I'm saying? And um, I, I love terrible stories about historical expeditions gone wrong. And okay. I, I just have a thing for it. And if, there's any, it just... if there's any descendants of anybody who has gotten lost or died on an expedition this week, call in. We're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that Business. your ancestor's death is a source of information to feed or entertainment. entertainment to it be. is pure entertainment. This is for learning people. Sorry, <laughs> not entertainment. Cough, cough. And I like, you know, history's informed us, you know, about plenty of heroic, you know, explorers who traverse the lands sorry, and seas. Sorry, I just had an image of. There's a poem on the course by Derek Mahan about the Scott expedition, you know, the very famous stoic line in it where Captain Oates goes out and he knows he's going out for the last time. Aww. But because he's British, he doesn't want to die in front of his friends. He doesn't want them to feel bad. So he that Im- infamous line where he says, or I shouldn't say infamous, it's more immortal line where he says, I'm just going outside and maybe some time because he knows he's not coming back. Aww. And it, the poem is really sad. I'm just imagining you reading it to your task and like, <laughs> and then he says... <laughs> And then at the end of my class, just EastEnders music comes on. It's a great point. I'm so sorry. That was really disrespectful. And I apologize to everyone on planet Earth right now. <laughs> my heartfelt sympathies. Um, but yes, nothing satisfies me more than learning about successful expeditions and failed expeditions. And what other land could an expedition go wrong than in Australia, <laughs> the continent of Australia? So when you think of Australia, what should you be thinking about? Okay, I'm going to try and make this as least offensive as possible. Uh, spiders, Wallace and Matilda, uh, Crocodile Dundee, Crocodiles, Steve <laughs> Irwin, um, Home and Away, Beaches, Venomous Animals, Snakes, oh Beer, Fosters. <laughs> Bondi Beach. Uh, okay. Alf. Al Stewart, <laughs> case file. Um, Mr. G? Mr. G. I love Mr. G. <laughs> yeah, Summer High High, amazing. And um, there's one thing Heath Ledger. And, oh, Heath Ledger. What oh, like uh, Cook, Captain Cook, and it being a, 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 a prisoner colony and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. And of course, the dude from Wolf Creek, who, who how could we forget? What's his name? Oh, I can't remember. Well, you know, he laughs like. He's like. <laughs> 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 I feel like he has the dark version of my laugh because I kind of laugh. I kind of go like, <laughs> I laugh at that as well. But his is like the darker version of it. I think he has like a normal enough name, like Johnny or Tommy or something. He does. <laughs> I want to look that if up now while you're, while you're chatting right now. I'm going to look that up. He's got like, I suppose, this kind of like, he's like Dingo's Island. Like Bill crash. or something? Bill. Bill. <laughs> Okay, you, you chat Let's away there and I'll just... Um, okay, I'll keep chatting away for the listeners to... I'll, I'll entertain you all with my really nice oh, voice. Okay, the description of the film. Okay, go for it. Okay. <laughs> Horror tales of backpacking friends out in the Australian wilderness whose car breaks down. Grant. They accept help from an eccentric local who turns out to be a tourist-hating maniac. <laughs> tourist-hating maniac. <laughs> <laughs> his name is Mick Mick, Mick. Taylor I knew it was normal enough Mick 
Oh God, well, Mick really hated tourists. And uh, if any of you haven't watched uh, Wolf Creek, give it a watch. Lovely film. Um, anyway, what we do know about the Australian continent is that it is vast and very, very hot. So hot that the highest temperatures recorded there ever was over 50 degrees Celsius. And we all know how unfortunate it can be for Australia uh, in terms of uh, climate change. Um, we know that Australia is very prone to annual wild uh, mm-hmm. fires. Yeah. And I suppose even long a day, or long, long a day, long, long ago, long ago, <laughs> um, long ago in the days of uh, cartography, cart- cart- cartography, thank you. <laughs> I can't speak today, people. It's been a long weekend. Australians just tuning out, being like, "Yeah, stupid Sheila." <laughs> They're definitely tuning Don't, out. Right yeah, now. they are. Like, <laughs> Unless my name really was. Oh, Sheila. I forgot to mention possibly the best episode of The Simpsons where they've ever gone oh. abroad. Oh my god! It yeah, nine hundred dollar dudes to yeah. buy us. <laughs> um, but the continent of Australia back in the day was even portrayed as just a fiery piece of land in some ancient maps. Okay. So that's how hot it is. But anyway, let me tell you all about one of the worst expeditions ever carried out on the continent of Australia. And this expedition is commonly known as the Burke and Wills Expedition. Now, the Burke and Wills Expedition was organised by the Royal Society of Victoria and Australia in the year of 1860. And it would conclude just one year later in 1861. Just four years before, a bad boy, monk, Rasputi, was born in Russia. And this expedition, uh, it would consist of 19 men led by a man named Robert O'Hara Burke and another man named William John Wills. Their objective was fairly direct. All they had to do was cross Australia from Melbourne in the south to the Gulf of Carpentaria in the north. A distance of almost, you know, around roughly 3,250 kilometres, or approximately 2,000 miles. Stroth. Oh, yes, Roya. And why do I have to be so aggressive? Yeah, you were giving the impression that Australians are very aggressive, (laughs) which I'm finding quite offensive. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, Australia. I I really want to visit. I really want to visit. Yeah, it's amazing. Somewhere safe without spiders, preferably. But unfortunately for these lads, spiders. It's just spiders. Did you see the photo lately of a guy who has a wolf spider in his house? It's he just is letting it live there. He's like, and everyone in the everyone in the comment section is like, it belongs to the spider now. The house, it's huge. (laughs) Oh God, no, no. They're relatively harmless, actually, wolf spiders, but they're just massive. Oh God, huntsman spiders. Or was it a huntsman? It was a huntsman. Sorry, wolf and yeah, I think it was a huntsman. I think so. Yeah, whichever one is the least harmful one, anyway. Stuff of nightmares. I tend to not know much about spiders because I don't want to research them. Just the stuff of nightmares. No, no, we can't go there, can we? No, no, please just continue with this story of death. (laughs) Yes, impending death. (laughs) Failed expedition equals death. Um, and exactly, unfortunately for these lads, okay, most of inland Australia had not been explored by non-Indigenous people and was largely unknown to European settlers in 1860. So, I mean, this would play uh, a huge factor later on in the expedition's outcome. So what spawned this expedition in the first place? Well, there was a super big gold rush that had occurred in the location of Victoria in 1851, 10 years prior Mm -hmm. to the expedition being mounted. This gold rush had played a huge factor in the increase of population of Victoria. So the stats show that between 1851 and 1861, the local population increased from 
29,000 people right up to 139,000 people, okay, almost 140,000 people within 10 years, right? So it's a hefty all jump, do you know what I'm saying? Um, with so many people suddenly congregating into Victoria, it was time to seek out some gold rush areas somewhere else mm. so that more people could join in the bandwagon. So the Royal Victorian Society, which is the oldest scientific society in the state of Victoria in Australia, hired Burke and Wills to lead the expedition. Now, I'm unsure as to exactly why, because when I was researching, uh, it says that uh, Wills was a surveyor. Yes, but Burke... Well, Burke was an Irishman who had been a police officer in Ireland and he had zero experience in surveying or exploration. But hey, you know, he seemed like the kind of fellow that could survive the Australian. I was going to say that. He was just a hard man. Yeah. (laughs) Full-time madman. (laughs) Irish people are so made for the Australian outback weather and temperatures. (laughs) Um, But along with Burke and Wills, so there's a crew of 18 other people 23 horses that are going to join in on this expedition, 26 camels, no, no, no joke. What happened? No, I don't want to, okay. Go and on. 20 metric tons of supplies, equipment, and stupid things such as a Chinese gong and a luxury writing desk. Why? <laughs> as you do. Because these things are important. Why are they bringing the Chinese gong? They're like, someone else is dead. Bomb. <laughs> Oh, I don't know why. It's just so... Or the writing desk, like, it's like, <laughs> I have some fault. Fetch me my desk. <laughs> mm, where's my ink and feather quill? Well, it's more Irish, I suppose. Our, our oh, boy, yeah, sorry. Is, it's more so like, <clears throat> I need to write something. I need to write something. Down. <laughs> I know we're Irish. We shouldn't have to be imitating the accents. <laughs> it doesn't... We needed to emphasize it for our yeah. Canadian bears. You know what I'm saying? And they're trying to get, like, feathers and they're, like, plucking them off emus. <laughs> And the emus are like, you know, hundred years. <laughs> yeah. We will have a revenge. Revenge. <laughs> great, great. Oh wait, no. Well, granddaddy had his fetus plugged. <laughs> we might be overthinking it. <laughs> We're visualizers, okay? Yeah. So, in late August of 1860, the lads headed off from Melbourne to an outpost some 450 miles away from them, uh, which was called Minidi. This trip took them roughly eight weeks, so that's like two months. And the first part of their journey had not been without its problems. So several of their crew quit the expedition. And Burke and Wills would now have to continue their journey without some of the equipment and provisions carried by those quitters. Maybe including a Chinese yeah, gong. And a... Not without the gong. <laughs> Remember to bring the gong. You cannot leave without the gong. So now the rest of the gang carried on to their next location, named Cooper's Creek. And there, the gang set up a base, or a depot. Uh, but it was here in Cooper's Creek where a really risky decision was made, okay, mm-hmm. by Burke and Wills. In order to make the journey to the north go faster, they decided to finish the remaining part of the expedition with just themselves and two other men. So these two men were named as Charlie Gray and John King. <laughs> Pascal Sheehy, <laughs> RG News, Australia. Um, so John King was another Irishman. And Charlie Gray was a Scottish man. Oh, mm, as you do. Gray, mm-hmm. nice Scottish name. It's lovely, isn't it? Charlie mm-hmm. Gray. Yeah. Um, but the rest of the party would remain at Cooper's Creek, okay? So if Burke and Wills did not return in four months, those at Cooper's Creek were instructed to leave the vicinity. With their smaller party of humans and few animals, Burke and Wills actually did make it to their intended destination of the Gulf of Carpentaria. However, in true Burke and Will's fashion, even success came with failure. 
The dense mangroves of the area stopped them from reaching the shores, but they basically succeeded. This would be the last time anything went correctly, okay, for them. Um, excessive supplies were used during the trip to the Gulf, and this essentially meant that the lads didn't have enough, you know, supplies for the return journey. Mm-hmm. So starvation and disease begins to hit the four lads. And Charlie Gray eventually died, having died from malnutrition. Oh, no. Do they not have their like, camels and all that and horses? Can they not eat them? No. Are they gone? I think the they're gone. Did they quit? I think they like... stayed at Cooper's. <laughs> I'd say the camels were like, um, I'm out of here. We've yet. had a meeting and we've decided um, I'm going to speak on behalf of all Where camels. Where the camels from? I'm not sure. They must have imported them. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. It's so weird, yeah. Just having camels in Australia. Oh, the poor Scottish guy. I know. I was rooting just... for him. We were all rooting for you. But the remaining three of Willis Burke and John King made it back to Cooper's Creek on April 21st, 1861. They arrived to discover that those who stayed behind at their little base or depot had already left the area. Want to know the worst part? Mm-hmm. Burke, Wills and King had missed them by nine hours. The lads had been gone for four months since they left uh, Cooper's Creek. But the depot crew had done what they were told and eventually left after four months. Mm-hmm. So nine hours. That's God. the difference. Yeah. So before those men at uh, Cooper Creek left, they buried supplies for the lads and mm-hmm. carved instructions on some trees for them. Mm-hmm. Nice. But the supplies were not enough. Suffering from malnutrition and other ailments, Burke and Wills died several weeks later while attempting to navigate the outback on their own. And that was that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if if films have taught me anything about Australia, you just you don't go near the outback Mm -hmm. if you're inexperienced Mm -hmm. or even if you're somewhat experienced. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very inhospitable, Mm -mm. unforgiving place. Mm -mm. So these guys really had no business you know what i mean no, leading this expedition and unlike burke and wills john king actually survived the expedition and he did so by accepting the help of the aboriginal yanjuanta people basically the indigenous local people yeah and um, king became close with them and they took good care of him and there were plenty of decisions made during the expedition that could have been the downfall of burke and wills but burke's the same for the indigenous people probably played a huge factor. If the lads had accepted uh, help or sought out help from the local indigenous people, they may have actually survived, like King. Well, yeah, no, I don't feel very mm-hmm. Now, you know, I like to watch me some Bear girls. you know what I'm saying? We mm-hmm. all know he's really, really fake, though. You know, he stays in his hotels and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Mr. Grills would know this. Um, the Australian Outback is actually full of potential food. But Burke and Wills had no idea what to actually look for. For example, Nardu fern, uh, it's an important fruit to the local Aborigines. And Burke and Wills knew this. They did not, however, care to know about how Indigenous people prepared the Nardu. Yeah. It had to be prepared in a specific way or it, it could lead to a, vit- a vitamin B1 deficiency. Burke thought he was above the Aboriginal teachings. So he ignored this important lesson and other lessons that could have saved his life. To some, Burks and Will's expedition provide, you know, provided invaluable insight into inland Australia. But in every other measurable way, it was about as much of a failure as one might expect when 
and you know people with no experience are, are paid, placed in charge of a huge expedition basically that was great yeah that's the it, story. it's like it's happened it happened with Christopher, I think I've mentioned him a few times on the podcast, Christopher McCandless, the guy who went to Alaska, <clears throat> the guy who went to the wild is about um very similar kind of story where he just didn't, oh, he didn't respect, just... I suppose, the... Is this the young fella? Yeah. Just, it's um, quite sad. You get, t- you get tales like this about people going into the Yukon or people like mm. in the outback who oh, don't, they don't know what they're doing, you mm. know what I mean? And and there's no respect exactly that for the indigenous people's kind of knowledge and... Mm. Same thing in Jack London's <clears throat> to build a fire. Yeah. I love that story. Yes. It's very, it's very sad. Because yeah. um, I know, like he wrote, there's two versions of the ending. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's the happy version and the sad version. The sad version is better because it just is more believable. It's more yeah. realistic. And the dog, it's of course, visceral. is just like built for that environment yeah. and that story. And he just yeah. strolls off into the sunset. Of course, he does. Good for Good him. Dog. Good, Good for you, dog. Good for you. <laughs> so that is the story about another. Yet another fail. I love these. I'm always going to love these stories. Oh God! I hope the camels were okay. I'm sure they were. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Or some crocodile might have got them. Or wait, is it crocodiles in Australia? Isn't it? And yeah. it's alligators in. Well, it did. There is crocodiles in in um. There wait now this because it's salt water mm. crocodiles and there's river crocodiles mm-hmm. and then you have alligators. But you do have both in the United States. Um, terrifying crocodiles are more dangerous yeah but alligators they're not gonna you know they're fine <laughs> <laughs> they're grand you will pet they're them okay. on the head and be like hey buddy I'd love a pet alligator no <laughs> no no you wouldn't they got some bite on them though yeah they do bitey bitey feckers <laughs> anyway sorry I keep okay. talking <clears throat> um, my one is going to be long but it's possibly I mean it's one of my favorite things I've ever researched I had so much fun researching this and I could go on this could t- potentially have taken no, 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 hours no, no, no. but instead it's going to hopefully be it won't be very quick because it is quite long but um this is just a story with so many twists and tales there was a film released about this last year in 2020 which is amazing um which i'll talk about towards the end but um listeners may be somewhat familiar with this story okay um, and it's it's about the Chicago. I'm gonna call them the Chicago Eight. Oh. Um, even though they're they're more popularly now known as the Chicago Seven because oh. one of them, um, their trial mm. their trial was declared a mistrial, mm. but he's really important to the mm. narrative as well. Um, so who were they? Who were the Chicago Seven? What is the context of it? I'll do the background first, and then the actual trial. It's a it's a really really fascinating part of, um history, a part that I love. That is like not too long ago and a lot of it still is relevant to the society we live in today so it's just it's brilliant so the chicago seven seven defendants <clears throat> most prominently kind of the most famous of them would be a guy called abby hoffman so we try and remember his name um because he's going to be kind of central to it jerry rubin david dellinger tom hayden rennie davis john Fryne, and lee i think it's wiener <laughs> and i was reading it and i was like oh no but i think it's it could be Weiner, but I'm pretty sure it's Weiner. Should we like, call him Weiner? Unfortunate surname. No, I mean okay. it's okay. Yeah. He won't come up very often in the story. Okay. Now they're charged by the United States federal government with conspiracy, um, crossing state lines with intent to incite a riot, and I'll get to that law in a second and why that was really of the time, and other charges related to anti-Vietnam uh, War and countercultural protests mm. in Chicago, Illinois, during the 1968 Democratic National Convention. Okay, originally, they were the Chicago Eight. Mm-hmm. The Chicago Eight became the Chicago Seven after the case against co-defendant Bobby Seale. I'll get to Bobby Seale. Um, it's really, really horrible okay. how he was treated. 
Liz Terry mistrial. Um, and it's just a bonker story. So what were the charges? What were they actually charged with? All of the defendants were charged with conspiracy. Hoffman, Rubin, Dellinger, Hayden and Davis were charged with crossing state lines with intent to incite a riot. Freund and Wiener were charged with teaching demonstrators how to construct incendiary devices. Mm. So fairly serious charge. The trial became so well known because of the unruly behaviour of the defendants in the courtroom and their just really, really antagonistic relationship with the trial judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trial judge is called Julius Hoffman. He's no relation to Abby Hoffman. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, there's lots of reasons that will become increasingly clear as I tell the story, uh, why it's just, ugh, it's bonkers. It's such a great film, though. Judge Julius Hoffman convicted the, the defendants and their attorneys for contempt of court. Contempt of court can be obviously decided by the judge without jury presence. He sentenced them to jail sentences ranging from less than three less than three years to more than four years for contempt of court. And they're separate to the uh, conspiracy convictions. These convictions, they were later reversed on appeal. Um, obviously the conspiracy charges are far more serious. Okay, so the context of what is the US looking like in 1968? It's a time of huge um, cultural changes. It's a really, really difficult year in the US. It's a really sad year. Um, I think it would have been very, very difficult to be a US citizen in 1968. Lyndon B. Johnson is president. <clears throat> the Vietnam War is raging. Mm-hmm. Um, famously, of course, the Tet Offensive began in January 1968. Um, just for listeners who might not be familiar with what the Tet Offensive was, it was a surprise escalation of attacks by the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese People's Army, Vietnam. Um, they started it at the very, very start of 1968 as a kind of surprise escalation <clears throat> of random attacks, which really changed, it changed the public's perception of the war. So although tactically the, um, the Tet Offensive is won by the US and mm-hmm. their, um, their allies, the South Vietnamese, etc. The public in the US don't really believe that because the fact that the Tet Offensive took the Americans by surprise, yeah. the Tet Offensive kind of occurs in three different escalations and it continues on toward throughout 1968. The public are like, whoa, like what's going on? Like they can't be that, we can't be beating them that much if they're able to launch such an aggressive attack. Yeah. So it widened the credibility gap. The credibility gap is something that had been kind of widening um, throughout Johnson's administration since the beginning of the Vietnam War. And what was it? Well, it was the public's lack of faith in the Johnson administration's ability to defeat, to defeat the Viet Cong. The public at this juncture in 1968 starting to think that America is losing the Vietnam War and are therefore kind of becoming gradually more and more opposed to it and to American involvement in Vietnam. Okay. Because of all of this, because of... Um, and there's reasons I'll get into now. Lyndon B. Johnson really shockingly announces in March of 1968 that he will not be seeking re-election. So the Democratic nominees, um, he isn't involved in it anymore. <clears throat> so one of them is his vice president, Hubert Humphrey. He will eventually go on to win the Democratic nomination controversially. Eugene McCarthy, a real surprise. I've written here a total dark horse. He's a Minnesota senator. Um, he manages to kind of come out of nowhere as a very prominent democratic candidate who may be elected you know as the um the democratic uh, ticket for the election now eugene mccarthy is anti the vietnam war whereas of course hubert humphrey is the vice president he's very pro the vietnam war now it's worth mentioning as well of course that one of the favorites in the democratic race is senator robert kennedy 
brother of JFK, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, JFK had been assassinated in 1963. Robert is also a nominee, but and as he's making grounds in the election, he wins the California primary um, during his uh, victory speech for that he is assassinated. So he's assassinated in June 1968. Why? Um, Robert Kennedy was assassinated by a man called Saran Saran, who was a Palestinian anti-Zionist um, because obviously Robert Kennedy had announced his support for Israel. <clears throat> um, again, 1968 is bonkers. Like I've mentioned, yeah. the Tet Offensive, God. Robert F. Kennedy is assassinated. Martin Luther King is also assassinated oh, only two months before um, Robert Kennedy. So it's just this t- really tumultuous time in, in American history. Mm. Um, interestingly, both Kennedy and McCarthy, Eugene McCarthy, were running on anti-war campaigns Kennedy had decided to begin to oppose the um the Vietnam War, whereas Humphrey supported the war. So that was going to be the making and breaking of their campaigns, and it would kind of reflect, you know, what the public's opinions, I suppose, were. While Humphrey does win the Democratic nomination, he will subsequently, of course, we know this, he loses the presidential presidential election to Republican Richard Nixon. So he never he never becomes president. Now, so we know that public opinion is changing when it comes to the war in Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of there's lots of different groups associated with the anti-Vietnam kind of uh, movement. Mm-hmm. One of those is the National Mobilization Committee to End the War in Vietnam, or the MOB, as they become known as. It was established in 1966 and chaired by David Dellinger. So he's one of the Chicago Seven. Mm-hmm. And they were planning a protest at the Democratic National Convention in 1968. So they obviously would have liked to have seen the Democrats pick an anti-war candidate to run yeah. for the presidency. They obviously um, hugely... Uh, protest against the inclusion of um of Humphrey so they don't like him so it was to be held in Chicago that's where it was going to be the assumption before it happened was that LBJ would seek the democratic nomination again um a countercultural group so we have obviously the mob and we have another countercultural group called the Youth International Party or Yippies as they became known and that's where Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin come in. And you'll see this really wide, like the Chicago 7, <clears throat> even though ultimately what they have in common is they're all anti the war in Vietnam, mm-hmm. but they're very different in their, you know, their, their, their kind of, what's the word, their expression, I suppose, mm-hmm. of protest. So the mob so- is more kind of... Um, Nonviolent political grassroots kind of, mm-hmm. you know, but um, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin, um, and I'll get to them in a second, kind of all about spectacle and theatre and being as ludicrous as kind of possible. Yeah. Um, now, so they, while the MOB is planning a protest, Abby Hoffman and Jerry Rubin uh, for the Yippie movement plan um, what they call a festival of life. Okay. Mm. And it's to counter what they describe as the Democratic Convention of Death. <laughs> so their statement and you'll see in their statement you'll see exactly the kind of people they were but I suppose not to get it wrong they're incredibly intelligent people so join us in Chicago in August for an international festival of youth music and theatre come all you rebels youth spirits rock minstrels truth seekers peacock freaks poets I should be reading this and like yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> dancers, lovers, and artists. We are there. There are 500,000 of us dancing in the streets, throbbing with amplifiers and harmony. We are making love in the parks. Okay. Making love, just Excuse. like Rasputin. <laughs> <Yeah. and his laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> so in March, um, representatives of various groups, they met in Lake Villa in Illinois. Mm. Now, so the, the mob and the yippies, all of them kind of met to decide like... Merging as one. What are we... What essentially is our is our goal here? And like... Mm-hmm. Um, and it was important that they... They wanted to do this peacefully, non-violently, mm-hmm. legally as well. So both groups applied for permits to protest and they wanted to sleep in the parks as well. Um, they applied obviously to the uh, the mayor of Chicago, the Daly administration. They were ultimately denied. So they said, no, you cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be protesters if they were like, OK, and just went home. So <laughs> um, the protest began, this is brilliant, <clears throat> with the Yippies putting forward their candidate for the Democratic nomination. So they chose a candidate, the Yippie movement. They are uh, technically a political party. Mm-hmm. Their candidate is a pig. What? So an actual pig. Okay. Okay. And I called I, I called him here 145 pounds of political pork. Oh. <laughs> What's his name? Tasty. His name is Pegasus. Or they called him Pegasus J Pig. Okay. Oh, so now cute. this is called in politics, this is called tactical frivolity. What does that mean? It's purposefully ludicrous. It's purposely bonkers. It's oh. it's it's to um, to be satirical, it's to point fun at the kind of seriousness of, of what they see as something kind of circus-like in themselves and, <laughs> and ridiculous. So they're just making it. It's, it's hilarious. It's, so um, like later on, the Yippies would put forward a candidate um, in 1976 called Nobody. And no, nobody was literally nobody, right? So nobody like was, nobody was driven around in guard. Um, like... <laughs> they'd have a limo and they'd have a ticker tape, tape parade and they'd have it like guarded by guards but there'd be nobody in the limo <laughs> so they're just like our, I wrote here our favourite brand of mad lads <laughs> oh my god they're just they're mad lads wait so was it actually a person no was no nobody it was actually no, nobody, nobody was nobody like a ghost. yeah exactly oh my god um, it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant right Savage. so um the law enforcement so involved, like the the law enforcement know that there's going to be protests. They know this is going to be countercultural protests, so, so they want to prepare for it. Mm. So, on the eve of the convention, Mayor Daly citing intelligence reports of potential violence. So, what what did they put into Chicago to counter it? Eleven thousand nine hundred members of the Chicago Police Department oh my God. working twelve hour shifts. The U.S. Army puts in six thousand troops. Okay. 6,000 members of the National Guard, 5,000 National Guard on alert in case they're needed, 1,000 FBI and military intelligence officers, and 1,000 Secret Service agents. Whoa, overkill. Okay. Wow. Daly also ordered the city's 4,865 firefighters to work extra shifts beginning on the Sunday before the convention. Okay, the Chicago Police Department placed 1,500 uniformed officers outside the International Amphitheater where the convention was held, including snipers. Okay. Something tells me that the authorities in Chicago were very supportive of the war. Um, so I suppose it's it's they see the countercultural, these yippies and the mob mm. and all these as agitators, as okay. really troublesome. Jeez, that's um, excessive As kind of, they, they believe they might incite a riot. So okay. that's why they're, um, they're so prepared. About... 10,000 protesters descend on Chicago. It's not actually that many. It's a lot less than was predicted. Mm-hmm. And compared to what I've just called out there, um, mm. it's they, they don't stand a chance, really. Yeah. Now, um, far less than predicted. Okay. Uh, 
there was an 11 p.m. curfew enforced in the parks. Okay. Um, now, Walter Cronkite, I mentioned Walter Cronkite when we were doing JFK because he's the guy who announced JFK's death. Mm-hmm. Really respected journalist. He reported, and this is a quote, the Democratic Convention is about to begin in a police state. There just doesn't seem to be any other way to say it. It's a really strong statement. I love his voice, actually. Mm-hmm. It's really like serious and grave mm-hmm. amazing and i mean that's a strong statement police state because yeah it just looked like overkill from, yeah. from the police okay on sunday the august 25th protest leaders allegedly told people to quote test the curfew okay mm. uh there are several thousand people in lincoln park around bonfires beating drums and chanting that kind of people okay when the park was officially closed at 11 p.m that's the curfew okay Chicago police used tear gas and moved in with billy clubs to forcibly remove them from the park. Okay. Now, they um, kind of cleared them out. They just basically forced them out. Um, it says here, protests, protesters, journalists, photographers and bystanders were clubbed and beaten by the police. Oh, God. Okay. Now, on the morning of August 28th, Abby Hoffman was arrested for writing the F word on his forehead. Okay. <laughs> Just a mad lad. He's just crazy. When just you, when he's in court, a swear word on his yeah, head. he was arrested for that. His um his explanation for why he did that in court is amazing. So I'll get to that in a minute. Um, thousands of protesters attempted to march to the amphitheater where we know that the convention is being held. Okay, um, but they were stopped in front of the Hilton Hotel, the Conrad Hilton Hotel, where the presidential candidates and the parties were. Um, the Democratic Party they were headquartered there. So they were stopped on their way and they were met by the National Guard who were armed with M1 rifles, machine guns and for some reason jeeps with cages on top and barbed wire frames in front. This is intense. This is like Mad Max. It's exactly what I thought of as well. I was like, this is like some dystopian, like, it's so bizarre. It's insane. Yeah, it's hard for us to even imagine, like, the context of the, I know in today's world there are still obviously political protests and things, but mm-hmm. this it just seems surreal. Um, in a sit down protest, so they sat down, right? This is what they decided to do, and this was a common kind of um civil disobedient way of protesting at the time: a sit in or sitting down. The crowd chanted, "The whole world is watching." So that's what mm-hmm. they used to chant during their protests. It's a really it's it's a brilliant it's chant because it's true: the whole world is watching. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, because yeah, for the media for the first time is recording these things, you know. Now, um, it's been called the, ba- the Battle of Michigan Avenue. It's described in the Chicago Sun-Times as a 17-minute melee in front of the Conrad Hilton. Now, it was broadcast on television, um, which is like really what's the word I'm looking for it's it's again it's one of the first times in history that we're seeing these things live on television mm-hmm. the police violence extended to uh protesters bystanders reporters photographers people who had nothing to do with the with the actual with, with the protesting itself, and yeah. remember the protesters aren't engaging in violence there it's it's um it's peaceful protesting now. yeah the tear gas actually reached hubert humphrey in his hotel suite like that's how insane awful it was, it was. yeah Police were seen to push protesters through windows. Then they'd follow them inside and beat them as they were, like, rolling around on the broken glass. That's horrible. Television cameras recorded this while demonstrators continued to chant, the whole world is watching. Okay. 
On Thursday, the violence continued in the park. Demonstrators sang songs like God Bless America, This Land is Your Land. What a tune, tune, isn't it? This land is your land. (laughs) This land is my land. land. The Star Spangled Banner. We can't. We've been watching. um, We've been watching the national anthem being sang by Fergie at that basketball game. All all terrible um, versions of it. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. Christina Aguilera. They waved V signs above their heads. Okay. They asked the soldiers to join in. The soldiers who were watching them. The soldiers never did. Uh, Phil Oaks sang I Ain't Marching Anymore, which is one of his songs. He, oh God, you have to, if any, if you don't know who he is, he's, I think I'm pronouncing that O-C-H-S, it could be Ox Oaks. Um, he wrote this amazing protest song, I Ain't Marching Anymore. It's told from the perspective of a soldier who has fought in every American war since the War of 1812. Mm. And the chorus goes, it's always the old who lead us into war, always the young to fall. It's a beautiful protest song. Mm-hmm. Um, my favourite protest song is Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Yeah, a lot of change. But I think that's from like 72. I think that's a bit later, 71, 72. Mm. Um, demonstrators chanted, join us softly, okay? Um, in the evening police officers raided now this is this is pretty sick um they raided a party organized by mccarthy eugene mccarthy remembers running on an anti-vietnam ticket Mm -hmm. his campaign uh workers at this point as far as i know he's kind of lost the nomination he's not going to get it it goes to hubert humphrey but they're having a party in the hilton hotel Police raid it. They beat them viciously. Um, and it's reported afterwards by these campaigners that all telephones on their floor had been disconnected a half an hour before. So oh that was planned so that they couldn't call anybody for help. Oh, God. Yeah. It's this is so messed up. So the aftermath. Okay. What did they actually do wrong? The, the Chicago 8. What were they being charged for? Like, so what, what, you know, we're looking at it objectively now. We're like, okay, it's been civil disobedience. It, it doesn't look like they engaged or there was any you know it looks like the police engaged in acts of brutality but caused by what Mm. so the city of chicago the u.s department of justice the house committee on on american activities and the presidentially appointed national commission on the causes and prevention of violence conducted investigations into the violence so they took it pretty seriously Mm. okay the uh the bios they were brought before hearings to be charged Okay, so on September the sixth, nineteen sixty-eight. So this is just after the uh, the DNC, the the um all of it has finished at this stage. The Daily Administration issued a report that blamed the violence on quote outside agitators who were described as revolutionaries, which makes them sound cool to be honest, mm-hmm. with an avowed purpose of a hostile confrontation with law enforcement. Okay, remember Daly is the mayor of Chicago. Now, um, the House. Uh, on American Activities Committee, just like apparently like anti-communist kind of um, super 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 conservative, they s- suspected communist involvement in the demonstrations. Of course, they did. Um, now the hearings, and this is a quote <laughs> as well, and this is just bonkers. They devolved into a bizarre preview of the conspiracy trial. Remember, they're not on trial yet. This is just a hearing in a kind of a investigation into it. Jerry Rubin burst into the hearing room with a bandolier of bullets and a toy gun. So, like, it's just giving a kind of hint of what's to come. Um, wow. In October 1968, Abby Hoffman was called before the House on an American um, uh, Activities Committee. And uh, <laughs> he was arrested for wearing an American flag shirt. He was trying to attend the meeting. 
um he was subpoenaed to appear and he was arrested he is just a uh, real wind up and he, he some of his stuff during this is brilliant the american flag shirt does that remind you of anything me yeah it reminds me of um i don't know why but bob dylan okay bob Dylan. yeah a little bit i mean yeah yeah um oh what is think, it of, think of a movie um a movie yeah wait now help me help me a little more Hindi. There's a scene in a movie, a very famous scene, where there's a Vietnam protest and there's a guy in an American shirt. Uh, um, oh, Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that guy in that film was oh, supposed to be Abby Hoffman. Oh. And it's really funny because he's, he brings up Forrest and he's like, the he's war. Like, Tell us about the war, man. Yeah, and he's Tell like. Tell us about the war. And then Forrest is like, the war in Vietnam. He's like, the war in Vietnam. Now, that's all I gotta say about that. that. So that's supposed to be Abby Hoffman. Wow. Okay. okay, Thank you. I never kind of I knew he was meant to be somebody significant. There's a lot of like yeah cultural references in that movie. Some of them are problematic, but we think that's okay. Now the Department of Justice report um it found no grounds to prosecute the demonstrators because they didn't. There was no evidence that they did anything. You know. Mm -hmm. Um. But they, I mean, there's on the, in the, like the attorney general will say, for example, they really want to catch these guys because they just don't like them. Mm -hmm. Um, He asked the US attorney in Chicago to investigate civil rights violations by the Chicago police as well. So they are looking into the police, like, because the police did engage in police brutality. It was broadcast on television, like for the whole world to see. Um. So they did. They investigated through something called the Walker Report, and there will be the police. Some of the police will be indicted as well. Mm-hmm. But I get to that. So had basically watched the hearings aimed to, um, and and uh, later a grand jury aimed to investigate was had the protesters violated federal law. So could they be convicted of federal crimes? So evidence was given before a grand jury. And police brutality was also questioned before the grand jury. Mm. So um, these, this is what the jury was asked to consider. An interstate conspiracy by protesters to cross state lines to promote riot and civil disorder in violation of federal law um, was one of the most serious charges. Okay. And then also violations by police of the civil rights of demonstrators by use of excessive force. Yeah, there was plenty of that. Yeah. Now... The men were indicted, the Chicago Eight. So they were indicted, they were charged. They were prosecuted under the anti-riot provisions of Title X of the Civil Rights Act of 1968. What was that? It made it a federal crime to cross state lines with the intent to incite a riot or to conspire to do so. So that's what they were charged with. And that's a serious enough charge. Um, This is a brilliant, I, there's a book here that I've been reading. Um, It's amazing so i can't recommend it enough it's by a guy called bruce ragsdale it was written in 2008 the uh, book is called the chicago 7 1960s radicalism in the federal courts and what he's saying here this is sums up the entire thing um that the charge is very serious but he says it was an unlikely group to engage in conspiracy dellinger at 54 had been active in passive movements for years before the rise of the student protest of the 60s hayden and davis were skilled organizers with focused political goals and they had never been interested in the street theater and cultural radicalism of hoffman and rubin john freund and lee weiner were only marginally involved in the planning for the demonstrations and their participation during the convention differed little from that of hundreds of others the unlikely conspirator was Bobby Seale 
who had never met some of the defendants until they were together in the courtroom and who had appeared in Chicago briefly for a couple of speeches during the convention. Mm -hmm. Seal was one of the founders of the Black Panther Party, which federal and state prosecutors had recently targeted in numerous prosecutions around the country. The eight were linked less by common action or common political goals than by a shared radical critique of US government and society. So Mm -hmm. it's a brilliant way of phrasing that. Even when... um, Abby Hoffman was asked in the court, like, did you orchestrate this together? Did you plan this? His response was, we couldn't even agree on lunch. Mm-hmm. What he means by that is like, we don't, although like we're, you know, we are all kind of, we're anti-Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they were from very different backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and they had very different ways of expressing themselves. Okay. The original eight defendants, again, just to repeat their names, this is important, is Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin. So they're both the two kind of mad lads. David Dellinger. And like, if you look up David Dellinger, like the guy has like, as far as I know, he has like a BA and something from like Yale. Like he's not, you know, he's older too. Mm-hmm. Like they're not um, these young hippies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Tom Hayden, Rennie Davis, John Fry and Lee Weiner, and Bobby Seale. Okay, defense attorneys, they're important too because they're going to be charged with contempt of court as well. William Kunstler, Leonard Weinglass or Weinglass, is it Weinglass? Of the Center for Constitutional Rights, as well as Michael Kennedy, Michael Teagard, Charles Gary, Gerald Lefcourt, and Dennis Roberts. And very importantly, the presiding judge was a guy called Julius Hoffman. And the prosecutors were Richard Schultz and Tom Foran. Okay, now Hoffman. Um, the judge, he barely concealed his contempt for the defendants and the defence counsel. He is brilliantly played by Frank Langella. Um, I love Frank Langella so much. Mm. Frank Langella, I think, is the guy who plays Nixon and Frost Nixon as well. He's just an amazing actor. He plays him in the 2020 movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. You just hate him so much. He's just so... <laughs> now, Bobby Seale is... The, the big. How does it go from the Chicago 8 to the Chicago 7? Yeah. Um... Does he get assassinated too? No. So Bobby Seale is one of the co-founders of the Black Panther Party. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to um, represent himself. The judge refuses this several times. Um, so he refuses all requests by him with regards to representation. That's mad. Now, on the morning of October 29th, after Seal called Judge Hoffman, quote, a rotten, racist, pig, fascist liar, the judge responded, let the record show the tone of Mr. Seal's voice was one of shrieking and pounding on the table and shouting. And Seal replied, if a witness is on the stand and testifies against me and I stand up and speak out on behalf of my right to have my lawyer and to defend myself and you deny me that, I have a right to make those requests. I have a right to make those demands on my constitutional rights. I have a constitutional right to speak. And if you try to suppress my constitutional right to speak out in behalf of my constitutional rights, then I can only see you as a bigot, a racist and a fascist. And I have said before and clearly indicated on the record. Go on, Bobby. Okay, it gets pretty bad for him oh, no. um on the afternoon session um in october on october 29th judge hoffman ordered seal to be bound gagged and chained to a chair what? okay which is just like animalistic yeah it's horrific so according to john schultz when the jury was led back into the courtroom one of the jurors a woman jean fritz she began weeping and other jurors squirmed hard in their seats at the site like it's an incredibly uncomfortable oh, that's God. horrific it is and three days, he appeared in court, bound and gagged before the jury, struggling to get free. Okay. Um, one of the defense attorneys, Kunstler, said, this is no longer a court of order, Your Honor. This is a medieval torture mm-hmm. chamber. Now, November 5th, finally, the judge declares a mistrial for seal. 
the Chicago 8 become the Chicago 7. Seal's case is supposed to be um, heard at a later date, but that never occurs. Mm-hmm. Okay. He is charged with contempt of court and he's sentenced to one of the maximum terms for that, which is four years, but it's reversed on appeal um, because clearly, like, the judge is just... The judge is insane. Yeah. He's actually exactly what Bobby described him as. And that's the thing, that the trial is very antagonistic. It's very, like... There's just a lot of bad feeling, but it's also extremely entertaining. So on one of the days, um, Abby Hoffman brings in a Viet Cong flag and it's wrestled out of his hands by uh, Marshall in the court. Uh, when asked why he wrote the F word on his forehead during the protest, he says, I put it on for a couple of reasons. One was that I was tired of seeing my picture in the paper and having newsmen come around. <laughs> and I know if you got that word in your forehead, they ain't going to print your picture in the paper. Which Clever. is genius. Oh Secondly, it sort of summed up my attitude about the whole thing. Okay, what was going on in Chicago? He was just like, okay. Um, when asked if he was trying to wreck American society. He said, my feeling at that time and still is that society is going to wreck itself. I said that on a number of occasions, that our role is to survive while society comes tumbling down around us. Our role is to survive. We have to learn how to defend ourselves, given this type of society, because of the war in Vietnam, because of racism, because of the attack on the Cultural Revolution. In fact, because of this trial. Okay, singer Judy Collins. Love Judy Collins. Mm. She's so beautiful as well. Mm -hmm. She tried to sing. I love this. um, When she was put on the stand. She tried to sing Where Have All the Flowers Gone? But the judge was like, you can speak it, but you cannot <laughs> sing it. So she did. Every time I hear that song now, The Simpsons mm-hmm. has ruined it for me forever. Where have all the flowers gone? Isn't it in the episode of Kent's People when he's on the, the merry-go-round, you know? He's talking about the horse. Isn't that the song that's playing? I think so. I can't even remember. And he's like, on one last ride. And it's like, where have all the flowers It or, is, I think. Yeah. Great song. Um, Alan Ginsberg. And you just know that Alan Ginsberg was going to be involved in this somewhere. When he was on the ch- um, the stand, he started chanting the Om chant, you know, Buddhist Om, Om chant. Um, on February 5th, Abby Hoffman shouted at the judge, your idea of justice is the only obscenity in this court. Go on. Okay, at Judge Hoffman. He called him Julie, by the way. Um because his name is Julius Hoffman I should say as Julie. well actually I forgot to I forgot to include this on the first day when he was being tra- like when, you know in the court when you're pleading you're making your plea mm-hmm. he stood up and he blew a kiss at the jury Abby Hoffman and the judge was like you strike that kiss from the record it's just yeah. wow oh my god okay. it's so petty um, Judge Hoffman he yelled at him as well because they're both Jewish of course the judge and Abby Hoffman mm. um, he yelled at him um this is in, I assume, Yiddish or Hebrew, Shanda for the Goyim, which is an insult meaning you're a disgrace in front of the Gentiles. So, like, and he said to him, um, Reuben said to the judge, Reuben, obviously, and Hoffman are both in the Yippie movement. Every kid in the world hates you because they know what you represent. You were synonymous with Adolf Hitler. Oh. Adolf Hitler equals Julius Hitler. Okay. Whoa. So, like, wow. Um, on February 6th, Hoffman and Reuben wore judicial robes to the court. Then they threw them on the ground and they stepped on them. Oh okay. Statements being made Statements, everywhere. yeah. So Judge Hoffman convicted all of the defendants and their attorneys, Kunstler and Weinglass, mm-hmm. on a total of 159 counts of contempt, imposing sentences ranging from less than three months to over four years. Now, um... Like, and I, I have all the sentences here. I won't read them out because they're all very, very long. But, like, 
uh, Concerts, for example, it's 48 months and 13 days on 24 counts of um, criminal contempt. Now, I hate, this is what really, really annoyed me, this part of it, because it's so petty. Mm-hmm. Six of the seven defendants were remanded to jail. They, their hair was cut. So they're, they're hippies, like their hair is long, whatever. Yeah. Um, So they were shorn of their long hair for what jail officials announced were sanitary reasons. Um, after the haircuts, Cook County Sheriff Joseph I. Woods showed pictures of the defendants to an audience. Um, that consisted of about 100 laughing and applauding members of the Elk Grove Township Republican Organization. So they were Republicans essentially showing the pictures and they just laughed like mm-hmm. they thought it was really funny because it was it was, a, it was designed to humiliate them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now they were released from jail on the contempt charges on February 28, 1970. Um, so not, not a very long um, sentence at all. Now... On February 18th, 1970, the jury acquitted all seven defendants of conspiracy. Um, they acquitted Freud and Wiener on all charges. However, they did, they found um, them Davis, Dellinger, Hayden, Hoffman and Reuben guilty of travelling between state lines with intent to incite a riot. So Dellinger's, um, resp- their responses here are kind of amazing. So I, I, I won't, I'll try, I'll see how much, yeah, we've talked a lot. Um I read out Dellinger's. He says, whatever happens to us, however unjustified, will be slight compared to what has happened already to the Vietnamese people, mm-hmm. to the black people in this country, to the criminals with whom we are now spending our days in the Cook County Jail. I must have already lived longer than the normal life expectancy of a black person born when I was born or born now. I must have already lived longer, 20 years longer than the normal life expectancy in the underdeveloped countries which this country is trying to profiteer from and keep under its domain and control. Sending us to prison, any punishment the government can impose upon us will not solve the problem of this country's rampant racism, will not solve the problem of economic injustice, it will not solve the problem of the foreign policy and the attacks upon the underdeveloped people of the world. The government has misread the times in which we live. Just like there was a time when it was possible to keep young women, women, young people, sorry, women, black people, Mexican-Americans, anti-war people, people who believe in truths and justice and really believe in democracy, which it is going to be possible to keep them quiet or um, suppress them. Okay. Tom Hayden, I've just taken an excerpt out of his because it was quite long. He says they have failed. He's talking about the judicial system here. Mm. Oh, they're going to get rid of us, but they made us in the first place. We would hardly be notorious characters if they had left us alone in the streets of Chicago last year. But instead, we became the architects, the masterminds and the geniuses of conspiracy to overthrow the government. We were invented. We were chosen by the government to serve as scapegoats for all they wanted to prevent happening in the 1970s. I thought it was brilliant Mm -hmm. because he's absolutely right. Abby Hoffman. Um, and you know his is going to be good <laughs> um, Abby Hoffman said in 1861 Abraham Lincoln in his inaugural address said and I quote when the people shall grow weary of their constitutional right to amend the government they shall exert their revolutionary right to dis- dismember and overthrow that government if Abraham Lincoln had given that speech in Lincoln Park he would be on trial right here in this courtroom because that is an insightful speech that is a speech intended to create a riot I don't even know what a riot is I thought a riot was fun Right means you laugh. That is a riot. They call it a riot. I don't want to be that serious. I was supposed to be funny. I tried to be. I mean, but it was sad last night. I'm not made to be a martyr. I tried to sign up for a few years, but I went down there. They ran out of nails. What was I going to do? So I ended up being funny. It wasn't funny last night sitting in a prison cell, a five by eight room with no light in the room. 
I could have written a whole book last night. Nothing. No light in the room. Bed bugs all over. They bite. I haven't eaten in six days. I'm not in a hunger strike. You can call it that. It's just that the food stinks and I can't take it. Well, we said it was like Alice in Wonderland coming in. Now I feel like Alice in 1984 because I have lived through the winter of injustice in this trial. And it's fitting that if you went to the south and fought for voter registration and got arrested and beaten 11 or 12 times on those dusty roads for no bread, it's only fitting that you be arrested and tried under the Civil Rights Act. That's the way it works. Okay. So Judge Hoffman imposed max sentences of five years on each of them. But on November the 21st, 1972, all of the convictions were reversed by the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. And um, all of the convictions, um, yeah, basically, yeah, they're, they're all reversed. So all of their convictions are reversed, thankfully, because it's just Judge Hoffman made a lot of mistakes. Um, of he did. He was a and cycle. that's recognized. So they they do get out. It's just a huge moment in US history. Wow. And I think uh, I think a change. The film is amazing. Yeah, I want I want to watch that. Yeah, it's brilliant. I want to watch uh, that. The book that I cited as well is amazing mm. and yeah, it's just a great story. Insane. Yeah. Insane. I can't even wrap my head around it how gosh, how corrupted the system was against them. Insane, beautiful quotations, though. Yeah, they I mean? they were so eloquent. Yeah. It, do you know what it, I thought of when I was reading this? I thought of the January sixth. Um, um, I'm not going to call them protests. The the storming the Capitol um last year. Oh or this yeah, year, the, the, this the, year. at the Capitol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking of like, yeah, that like these guys went to trial and mm-hmm. like were tried like and the dude with the the horns yeah you know, like he, he's gone to jail yeah he's yeah prison. yeah but the difference between <laughs> what they were standing well, they for and what people. they were there yeah was people killed in those and riots, that's the thing like these guys are peacefully protesting yeah. and are so eloquent and are so mm-hmm. like whether you agree or disagree with their politics or whatever mm-hmm. they're that they did nothing wrong yeah. they really didn't um, oh that Hoffman guy I gotta look him up I wonder if he's still trooping around. I think he might be dead. Some of them are still alive. Mm. Some of them have he died. Probably went on to have like, um, babies. And I read their. I read a lot of their kind of life stories. It, they're just really interesting characters. This the the eight of them. They're really Gosh, interesting. Check them out. Wow! 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 That was incredible. Fantastic. It's a great story. It is a really great story, and it's a time in the US that I'm just really interested in. I think yeah. the '60s in the US, just, as a decade, is bonkers. Like you've got. Huge assassinations, Malcolm mm-hmm. X, Martin Luther King, yeah. Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. You've got the moon landings, you've got the countercultural movement, the Vietnam War. What a transition. Like it's time just like, a crazy yeah. time in the US, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Speaking of crazy. Crazy. I'm sorry for singing Patsy Cline. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was, where is this going? Why? I was just going to say that um, for our listeners that I was going to throw up, uh, or we're going to throw up the competition. Oh, yeah. Page. Oh, I love a good competition. Christmas time, people. Mistletoe and when. I hate that song. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strong. Have yeah. you ever seen him dancing to it? Do you know what Christmas song I hate? Or, what's his name? Sorry. Cliff, Cliff Richards. Cliff... Did you just say Cliff Richards? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be like that would be very aggressive. Clint Eastwood sings mistletoe and wine. He's talking to Richard. No, Clint Eastwood's busy arguing with empty chairs. Jeez. 
And okay, that was amazing. Oh, I'm sorry. There was a, oh no no. You know what the worst Christmas song is? And I'll die in this hill because I know some listeners come like, no, it's a great Christmas song. And I'm like, no, wait, wait. you were wrong. <laughs> you sit there and eat your bounties and listen to this terrible hey. song. Hey. Um, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Paul McCartney. It's terrible. I hate it. Like the the synth in the background. Din din. Oh, so bad. <laughs> I don't care that it's Paul McCartney I don't care Anyway my favourite beat is George Harrison he's, Again, he's cool I'll die in that hill I love um, What's that Christmas jam You know uh, Merry Christmas Merry Christmas Yeah it's a good one Stop the Calvary Great one Jam Really sad yeah. though Like for such a Christmassy song It's pretty depressing When you really Look into this <laughs> That's exactly how it goes <laughs> But yeah, I was going to throw up the uh, the competition Yay. on the main Insta page. So all you guys got to do, right? Look out for that post. We'll be posting up very soon over the next few days. All you got to do is tag two of your buddies, okay? Like the post and share it on your Insta story. And you are in the draw, people. You're in it to win it. Yes. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I don't know why you keep singing. It's just a coping mechanism, I think, at yeah, this point. It is. We, we just do it look all at the time. each other and we sing. And we sing yeah. Just singer. We're like podcasting Julie Andrews. <laughs> I love Julie Andrews. <laughs> do do was there a reason did was there something about her though that no, I'm probably completely blaspheming her now. She's probably like <laughs> the nicest person in the world. And I'm like, there's something in the back of my mind though about her. Did I read something? I don't know. I'm probably totally wrong. As we should check else. it out. You're like, no, Claire, that's Hitler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was kind of on the lines of, was she a Nazi? Was she like no. Coco Channel? No, she's definitely not a Nazi, but there's just something about, I don't know, maybe I read she wasn't a very nice person or something. I don't know. I'm really sorry, Julie Andrews, if you're listening to this and you're actually really nice. I'd um, love if she wrote in. Could you imagine? I mean, it would be amazing. Imagine. Imagine if there's a celebrity that actually listens to this. There hey isn't. there. I think it's safe to say there isn't. You never know. You never know. <laughs> I'm telling you now. So, wow. So, that was a long, long Hell episode. of an episode, people. Hell of an episode. But good. <laughs> yes. But a good one. Um, my research came from that book the mm-hmm. film and the wikipedia article on it is actually really good like it's really really well put together whoever put that together they sourced it really well mm-hmm. um it's just yeah it's brilliantly written it is a little bit biased in favor of obviously the defendants but come on yeah fight but, the power and all that hell yes hell yes screw you judge hoffman yeah we're screw everywhere you. in hell with rusty <laughs> and caligula okay i mean okay he was bad maybe he wasn't that bad <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> enjoy playing with seashells I actually right after last week's episode we talked about hell so much I actually started reading Dante's Inferno again well what? it's it's um so messed up it's, it's the divine comedy isn't it but only yeah. the Inferno part because that's the fun that's the fun part yeah it's so much fun to read oh my <laughs> going god going through hell Woo! it's so scary but I love it it's just so I good anyway okay we're gonna go we, we should have left <laughs> five minutes ago as always but uh we, we didn't. That off. We, got, we got <laughs> to tie here. it up with just confusion and random chit chats. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Tell us how you are. Tell us how we're excited for Christmas. We're going to do a nice bumper Christmas episode. That's going to be fun. You're like, we are. History like, of Ra- yeah. Rudolph. Aw, we could do like, yeah, something. I'm trying to think, but it has to be nice. We can't be like, history of Christmas deaths. I actually have an idea. I have one I think I'm going to do. I know. Top 10 worst Christmas deaths in history. <laughs> 
Santa. Top, top, top ten Santas going on <laughs> killing rampages. Yeah. Top ten bad Santas. Oh, that would okay. be amazing. We could do that. Yeah, I, I already know what I'm going to do. It's all planned. But <gasps> Tell I me after this. It, I will keep it a secret for now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We love you guys. We thank you so much for listening, for your support. Mm-hmm. It means the world to us. And um, well, yeah, we really, we really like you. I really like you. <laughs> Maybe I like you guys more than a friend. She's a creep. Okay. (laughs) We're going to (laughs) go. Bye, everybody.